Psalm 23. If you found it, I invite you to stand with me. Let's read together God's Word. The 23rd Psalm. This is a three-week series, and that's not due to my creativity. It's straight from the text. Psalm 23 is indeed a song, and if you look down at your Bible, you may notice there's three stanzas, so to speak. Verses 1 through 3, we looked at that last week. Verse 4, we're going to look at that this week. That's right, today's sermon is on one verse. And then next week, we'll conclude our study by looking at the third and final stanza, verses 5 and 6. It's like a three-course dinner. It's like a three-movement symphony, and we're going to see its central, greatest stanza, in my judgment, beginning in verse 4. Before a little context, let's get a running start and read beginning in verse 1. Hear now the words of David, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Would you join me as we ask God to help us? Father in heaven, I pray that you would open eyes to an all-too-familiar text to see that this is indeed a psalm for every season, both for today and its troubles, and tomorrow and its unknown troubles. So I pray that you would strengthen the faith of my dear brothers and sisters through this text. Strengthen my own, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we've just heard the sweetest song ever sung. Charles Spurgeon once remarked that this psalm, Psalm 23, it was the pearl of the psalms, none more beautiful. This is one of those psalms that's sung by saints and probably hummed by, dare I say, heathens. This is just one of those psalms that everybody seems to know. It's 23rd Psalm. We've, we know it by heart. Most of you know for lack of a better word, the melody of the psalm. That's what I would regard verses 1 through 3 to be. Most people could hum the melody, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and still waters. He restores my soul. You love that melody. But here's the trick about melodies. If you're familiar with music, then you would know that a melody without a harmony is just a little odd. Y'all know what a melody is. It's the notes you know, but the harmony is what fills in the gaps. It's what makes the song sound full and rich. And and the trick is, when you look at Psalm 23, most of us know verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to want. He gives me green pastures and still waters. He's restoring my soul. But the problem is, is that most of our lived experience? Is life a bunch of green pastures and still waters? And it feels like we're always on the right path. And the hard truth is, that's a little odd, isn't it? Because that's not the experience most of us have. It's like a melody. It's just a little empty. It needs something more. And praise be to God, the psalm doesn't end in verse 3. Today I want to invite you to see that one of the reasons I think this psalm is one of the sweetest songs ever sung is because it's symphonic. It's harmonic. It is genuinely a psalm 
for every season, not just for good times, but for bad times, not just for today, but for tomorrow, so to speak. This psalm has a harmony, and that harmony we find in verse 4. For in verse 4, after singing of the green pastures and the still waters, he turns to the valley. The valley. And we know the valley, do we not? For how many of us in this room aren't presently walking through a valley? And here's the trick about the valley. Let's go back to this imagery of a song. If a melody without a harmony is odd, a harmony without a melody is just plain off. You ever heard a song that doesn't have the melody, it's just the harmony? It doesn't even sound like the song. It sounds nothing like it. So if we just looked at verse 4, some of you may say, Pastor, that just doesn't sound right to me. How could I possibly with integrity sing, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil? Some of you are thinking, I can't say that. You don't know the valley I'm in. If you only knew my valley, you would know that it would be ridiculous to sing, I will not fear. And if that's you, I want you to draw in with me. Harmony without a melody is off. You need the two together. We are never going to be able to face tomorrow and sing with assurance, I will not fear, unless we get a grip on the fact that today we can sing, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, we need verses 1 through 3 to illuminate verse 4. We need them together. We need to hold them in both hands. And if we do, if you do, then you can join me and follow David, that sweet psalmist of Israel, into the valley and learn how he could sing both in green pastures and in the valley. Come what may, we need not be afraid. That is, in my judgment, the theme of this text, the central argument of this verse. Do you believe in your heart, come what may, you need not be afraid? Do you believe that? Because David did, and I want you to see why he believed it. Now remember, this happened in time and space. He is remembering a time when he was a shepherd. He was taking his sheep through a valley, and historical evidence suggests to us that we know where the valley was. In all likelihood, David was leading his sheep into a valley called the Wadi Kelt. Wadi means valley in that ancient language. The Wadi Kelt. And this valley, you can find to this day, it is built by a river that connects uh, Jerusalem all the way down to the Jordan River near Jericho. And over the years, this river had kind of cut into the landscape of, Ju of the Judean hills, this valley of sorts. And that was the best way to bring your sheep from Jerusalem down to the Jordan Valley. So as David was leading his sheep, he would enter this Wadi Kelt, this valley, and he noticed a few things about this valley. He noticed that he was in a deep valley. For as you enter the Wadi Kilt, there are high cliffs on either side. Consequently, the depth of this valley proved it to be a dark valley. For as the mountain side got higher and higher, the sun would be blocked and great shadows would be cast into this valley. Hence, the valley of the shadow. It was a dark valley. In fact, that word shadow in the original language literally means deep darkness. He was in the deep darkness of the valley. But notice he calls it the shadow of 
death, the valley of the shadow of death. That's because this was not only a deep and dark valley, it was consequently a dangerous valley. For in this valley there were predators lurking in the shadows. There were flash floods prone to this valley. Rock slides were not uncommon. Indeed, indeed, even there were criminals that would lurk. In fact, most people expect that when Jesus shared that famed parable of the Good Samaritan, you remember that story, where the Good Samaritan was beaten up and left on the side of the road? Most assume that that probably happened in this very valley, the Wadi Kelt, where there were criminals lurking in the shadows to come and take over an individual. This was a deep valley, a dark valley a dangerous valley. Consequently, it was often a deserted one. You would be all alone as you made your way through this valley. And the text even makes clear, even though I walk through this valley, not we, I am walking through it. Now, remember with me, this is not a psalm about sheep. And we need to remember, David, though he is probably looking back to his time as a shepherd, is David the shepherd in this psalm? And remember, the answer to that is no. Strangely enough, David regards himself in Psalm 23, well, as a sheep. He's looking to God as his shepherd, which should immediately grip us that when David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is not merely remembering his time walking through the wadi kelt with his sheep. He is picturing, in other words, the valleys of his life that his good shepherd has brought him through. And I wonder how many of you in this room today can resonate with the imagery of that valley. For who amongst us in this room has not at one point, if not today, found ourselves in a deep valley of life? Perhaps this moment you feel hemmed in. You feel as if there is no escape from this valley. It's a dark valley. You are in the throes of despair, despondency, depression. It feels like there is no light at the end of this tunnel. It feels deep and dark. And you may protest and say, Pastor, you don't get it. My valley is literally dangerous. I've just been given months to live. Death is at the end of this valley for me. You don't understand just how seriously dangerous, deep, and dark this valley is. You don't get how deserted I feel in this valley. I may be in a room of a thousand people and I feel utterly and completely alone. And if that's you, I plead you lend me your ear. For you can join me by following David into this valley. And you will learn to sing with assurance. Come what may, I will not be afraid for three reasons. There are three reasons why we can go into the valleys of this life, so to speak, and we need not fear. If you're taking notes, mark this down. Firstly, I want you to note, come what may, we need not be afraid because he has led us into this valley. Have you ever considered that the valley you find yourself in presently, God led you there? Don't take my word for it. Look down, if you will, at the text. What does verse 4 begin with? even though I walk through the valley. If you know the King James, you may remember it say, yay, though I walk through the valley. That means, yes, in spite of what I walk through the valley. He's pointing us back to verse 3. Recall with me, if you will, the last thing he said in verse 3. He says that our good God who brings us to green pastures and still waters, he is leading us on right paths. And those right paths inevitably lead somewhere. Do you want to know where that path leads, dear friend? It leads 
to the valley. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley. Yes, he leads me in paths even though I'm walking through this valley. Have you forgotten that ours is a God who often leads us directly into the valleys? And if you are shocked by this, remember, this is not something unique to you. All the saints of the Old Testament would in one accord shout that God in His goodness often leads us to valleys. Just ask Joseph who said, you meant it for evil, but God meant all the things I've gone through for good. Just consider Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, who knew that God had brought them to the fiery furnace or to the lion's den for their good and God's glory. This Old Testament doesn't have the corner on this market. Go look at the New Testament and see the first deacon, Stephen, martyred for his faith, who knew that God was orchestrating this for his glory and Stephen's ultimate good. The Apostle Paul himself time and time again says that these trials and tribulations that he was enduring were from the good hand of a sovereign God. You just read church history and almost any man of consequence, woman of substance in church history, walked through the valley and credited their good God for bringing them through the valley. So the question we ought to ask is not, does he lead? Really the question that ought to be bothering you is why? Why does he do this? Why would God in his infinite wisdom lead us on a right path into a valley? Does that bother you at all? If he's loving and kind, why would he do this? And I think the imagery of a shepherd leading his sheep is instructive here. For a shepherd leading his sheep to higher ground would take the sheep through the valley because it was the only way. Any of you all ever climbed a mountain? About 15 years ago or so, I went to Colorado and climbed a 14,000 foot peak. It's called Challenger Point. And when you climb that mountain, you do not just go straight up. There is a right path to get up there. And you want to know what the right path is on virtually every mountain? It's almost invariably through the valley. Have you forgotten that the valley is often the only way up to the top? Have you forgotten that there really are no mountains without valleys? That if you want to get to the mountain top, so to speak, you are going to go through it? It is the only way. But if that is cold comfort to you and you just think, okay, be that as it may, it just feels cold, callous, cruel for God to bring me through this valley. Remember, it's not just the only way. It is actually the best way. For here's what's really interesting about shepherds and sheep, and the imagery is so helpful. That very valley that the shepherd would often lead his sheep through to get to the high grounds of God's goodness those very valleys were often the place in the journey that had the best green pasture. It had the most abundant supply of water. For what is almost always in a valley? A stream. The water runs down the sides to the center. When there's water, there tends to be greenery. If you go look at a map of Egypt and you see the Nile River, Egypt is nothing but sand, except there is this green strip that follows the Nile River down it. For when the water is nearby, it causes the ground to flourish. In other words, the valley was a place where God would actually counterintuitively grant you the grace of the green pastures you need, the still waters you need. In fact, the valley actually had typically the gentlest grade. It was the least strenuous way to get 
where you needed to go. And I think this is instructive for us because it illustrates for us a profound truth that most of us forget. And that truth is this, that your suffering is never for nothing, ever. Your present valley is being used by our good God. He led you there for a reason. He is using this valley in your life this moment. If you joined Hickory Grove within the last 10 years, you would have received from us in our Discover HG class as a gift this leather-bound copy of Puritan Prayers entitled The Valley of Vision. And in that leather-bound copy of prayers, the title prayer, the first one in the book, my favorite prayer, is called, as you might expect, The Valley of Vision. And I think it captures poetically and beautifully the crazy nature of God's good design in our life to use suffering to change us. It illustrates beautifully, in my judgment, why our suffering is never for nothing. The prayer reads something like this. Oh Lord, let me learn by paradox that the way down well, actually is the way up. That to be low actually is to be high. That the contrite spirit really is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul, well, it really is the rejoicing victorious soul. That to give, well, it really is to receive. That to bear the cross, it really is to wear the crown. That the valley really is the place of vision. Dear church, have you forgotten that the valley you find yourself in, you have been led there by a good shepherd? Even though I walk through the valley, you need not fear evil. Come what may, you need not be afraid, for he has led you there. But what's real interesting about this verse is there's a crucial key word that if you move too quickly through it, you'll miss a great vein of God's grace. Did you notice what he says in verse 4? Does he say, even though I walk to the valley? Does he say, even though I walk in the valley? What is that critical word? Even though I walk through the valley. Underscore that word through because it illustrates a significant salient point that we need never forget. The same God that led us to the valley, praise be to God. Secondly, he is going to see you through the valley. This is not a dead end. The valley you find yourself in is but for a season. He is bringing you through it. The God who brought you to it is the same one who's going to bring you through it. Now, the trick is, when you're in the valley, does it often not seem endless? Perhaps it feels like this valley's never going to end. It's deep, it's dark, it's dangerous, and you feel hemmed in. You just feel like you're never going to get out of it. Oh, I pray for you who are suffering this day, mark this verse in your margin, hide it in your heart. It has been a balm for my soul time and again. I dare say it is the most encouraging verse for suffering souls. I trust in all the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul reminds us in eloquent, simple words that whatever you're going through is a light, momentary affliction. It is momentary. It will not last forever. My 
childhood pastor used to always jokingly say that his favorite verse in all the Bible was this, and it came to pass. (laughs) Because, dear friends, it is going to pass. Your valley is not endless. But you're thinking, okay, well, I'll concede it's not endless, that eventually it's going to end. But the truth is, this valley, it feels aimless, purposeless, pointless. I don't know what God is actually doing with this valley in my life. Have you forgotten the latter half of Paul's precious promise in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17? For remember how the verse ends. This light momentary affliction is doing what? It is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. This is a verse that reminds us that whatever we're going through in our life is not only not endless, it is not aimless. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And while that preaches good, the truth is I wonder how many of you are still tempted in the privacy of your own mind and heart to cynically say, okay, yes, but it just feels endless to me. It feels aimless to me. If your valley feels aimless, Perhaps you have been given what could variably be called a death sentence. You're like, Kyler, you don't get it. I'm going to die, and I'm going to die soon. This valley I'm in, it is a dead end. Oh, dear saint, have you forgotten that death is not a dead end? It is but a gateway to infinite glory. What a grace to know that when God takes you to the valley you've arrived. It's one thing to get through the valley and still see that you got a ways to go, but at least you're not in the deep, dark valley. What infinite joy it will be to get through the valley and arrive instantly into the gateway of His glory and grace. Oh, death is indeed gain, the Bible says, and so you need not fear. This valley is not aimless, come what may, and it is not endless. Just like we said... If there's no mountains without valleys, we can say this too. There's no valleys without mountains. If you are in a valley, it proves that there is a mountain awaiting. It illustrates poetically for all of us that whatever we're going through, the Lord is going to bring us through it so that we will be able to taste and see the heights of His glory and grace. So take heart. Come what may, you need not be afraid. For He has not only led you to it, He is going to bring you through it. But as we go through this valley, notice how he describes his journey. Does he say, even though I run through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I stumble through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I waltz, prance, fall through the valley of the shadow? Of course, he says walk, which I think illustrates for us the patience we must learn as we, his sheep, follow our shepherd in this sojourn of our life. As we walk, learn to not run. Learn to start paying attention as you go through this valley. First, I want to invite you to look behind you. As you are walking through the valley, it's helpful to look back and remember what he's done for you. Just go look and see all the evidence of grace. Have you forgotten how far he's brought you? He's brought you a long way to this point. On my 34th birthday, I began journaling prayers to God every day. And I have not missed a day, shockingly. I've not missed a day. 
since I turned 34. And the main reason I do that is so that I can look back and see what I have forgotten. How good God has been to me. All the cares I had back in October, I've forgotten about them. And I go back and read about it and I'm like amazed at how good, gracious God has been to me. How much He's brought me through. May I commend that to you. Start recording how good God has been to you. Look back. But don't just look back. If you look back too far, you'll stumble and fall. Look ahead as you walk through this valley. Remember that there is a shepherd who is leading you. It may not be the way you want to go, but follow him. He is a good shepherd who is leading, guiding, and directing you. You look ahead. You look back. But don't fail to look around as you walk through the valley, for there are many lessons to be learned. Oh, God is bringing through the, you through the valley to teach you. He's using this valley in your life. And so, dear church, take heart. As you go through this present valley, you need not be afraid, come what may. For He has led you here. He is seeing you through it. But perhaps you just confess, be that as it may, you just candidly are afraid. You hate it. You, you don't like the valley. It's as if you just want to close your eyes and just kind of hold on to the shepherd's garment and just take small baby steps through it. You, you don't want to look around. You don't want to look back. You don't want to look ahead. You're, you're afraid. And if that's you, bear in mind the great grace we see in the latter half of verse 4. Oh, it'll be a balm for your fear-ridden soul if you can remember this simple truth. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, and your rod and staff comfort me. In other words, the same God who led you to the valley, the same God who promises to see you through the valley, well, thirdly and finally, He will be with you in the valley. You are not alone, deserted as it may feel in this deep, dark, and dangerous valley. You are not alone. For your shepherd is with you. His rod and staff comfort you. First, he's with you. That means, by illustration, he's beside you. He has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Your shepherd is, is with you. In fact, the pronouns even change to a more personal word. Did you notice he starts saying, you? You are with me? This is the sheep realizing the shepherd is so close he can touch him. So too, our great God is right beside you. He is walking with you. I will never leave you, He promises. I'll never forsake you. But this same God who is beside you is in a very real sense also behind you, guarding you. For when it says, your rod comforts me, that is an image of an instrument that shepherds of old would have fashioned out of a piece of oak and this rod would have been used to guard and protect the sheep. They would use it to fend off the predators. They would use it to protect the sheep from behind. So too, there is a great God who is, so to speak, not just beside you, but He is behind you, guarding you, protecting you. You may be persecuted, but you will not be abandoned. You may be pressed, but you will not be crushed. You may be struck down, but you will not be destroyed. For the same God who is with you is the same God who is guarding you from behind. His rod comforts you. But did you notice he has his hands full? This shepherd has both a rod and a staff. 
which illustrates for us that the same good God who is beside you and behind you is also before you. For that shepherd's staff was an illustration of an instrument that would help the shepherd lead, guide, and direct the sheep. With his right hand and his rod, he would guard you. In his left hand with his staff, he would guide you. With his right hand, with his rod, he would protect you. With his left hand and his staff, he would direct you. The same God who is guarding you from behind is leading you from ahead. Oh, praise God that you have a good shepherd who has said, this is the way, walk in it. You don't have to figure it out on your own. Quit wandering and trying to blaze your own trail. You have a shepherd who is guiding you, leading you through the valley. And so take heart. You need not be afraid. For the same God who led you into this valley, the same God who has promised to see you through this valley, it is that same God who is with you in the valley. That is a great encouragement to my heart to know that I have a God who is near. Oh, if you could just learn to sing this song of the psalmist. You are with me. So many fears would fade. Why else do children run into their mother's arms when the thunder cracks in the middle of the night like it did this week for many of you and your little kids? It's because there is comfort. There is great peace in the presence of mom. Why else have so many of you in the hospital room long to have a loved one just sit by your side? Can they actually do anything for you? They're not doctors. It's because there is unbelievable comfort in the closeness of a loved one. How much more peace is provided us with the presence of our shepherd? How much more comfort is afforded us, is conveyed to us through the closeness of our shepherd? We need not fear, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they ought to comfort us. Come what may, dear church, you need not be afraid. But if that just still sounds off to you, you're like, preacher, I know you and so many think this is the sweetest song ever sung, but the truth is it just feels a little off to me. It's like there's a note missing, or maybe the wrong note has been played. You ever, if you play piano, you know that if you just get one note off, it's going to mess up the sound of everything. Maybe that's how you feel right now. Sounds like you said it right, preacher, but it's just not sitting with me. I'm not sure that I can leave the Lord's house on the Lord's day and with full assurance of faith sing, come what may, I will not be afraid. And if that's you, I wonder if there is one simple note you're missing. There's one little note that you're playing wrong. I wonder if that note is this. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Did I get that right? Did you all notice I missed a note? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Let's consider the imagery of a shadow in conclusion. For if we get this note right, I dare say this psalm will fully, finally become for you the sweetest song you've ever heard. Just a few weeks ago, I was flying home 
from New York City into Charlotte. And I was in an airplane looking down over the uh, Charlotte skyline. And as I looked down, a shadow was cast from the plane over the landscape. And as the shadow was racing across the landscape, it was going across homes. And as it hit every home, bam, it hit a home. And bam, it hit a home. And bam, it hit a home. And it was crushing trees. And it was knocking down skyscrapers in Uptown. Of course, that's ridiculous, right? Because what shadow can do that? Have any of you in this room ever been bitten by the shadow of a snake? Have any of you ever been pierced by the shadow of a sword? Have any of you ever been crushed by the shadow of a stone? Have any of you ever been killed by the shadow of death? You see, the reason this word shadow is so critical for us to conclude our study is because it illustrates for us perhaps the most significant point I'll make today. And that is the reason we can sing with assurance, come what may, I will not be afraid, is because we do not walk through the valley of death. We walk through but the valley of the shadow of death because the substance of death hit Jesus. Jesus was bit by that serpent of old so that we would but see the shadow of his bite. Jesus was pierced with the sword in his side so that we would but sense the shadow of that sword. Jesus was crushed with the full weight of our sin on the cross so that we would but sense the shadow of that crushing weight. Jesus was killed on Calvary so that we would but see the shadow of sin and death. Have you forgotten, dear church, that when Jesus died, death died with him? That when Jesus died, he died in such a way that he walked through the valley of death so you wouldn't have to. We no longer need to fear death. It is but a shadow this side of eternity. He died, but praise be to God, He didn't stay dead. For the same God that when He died, death died with Him, that same God rose from the dead. And when He rose, light rose with Him. And when that light is shining on your heart, you will see but a shadow of sin and death fall against you, and therefore you need not fear, for you have a good shepherd who is eminently qualified to lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. So let's join together in one accord and go into the valley, singing with full assurance of faith with that sweet psalmist of Israel, David himself, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am going to fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Come what may, we will not be afraid. Why don't you join me as we pray? And with your heads bowed, perhaps you need to confess that fear is still welling up within you, that you resent the valley. If that's you, I want to plead with you to consider anew that there is a good, loving, gracious shepherd. He is a good shepherd, the Bible says. He is a great shepherd, the Bible says. He is your chief shepherd, the Bible says. 
And he is bidding you come and follow him into the valley. He's led you there. And he's done so for a reason. He has promised to see you through this valley. It is not endless and aimless. And he will be with you in the valley. Beside you, behind you, before you. Therefore, you need not fear. So cry out to him this moment and plead that he would do a restorative work in your heart such that the joy of your salvation is restored even in the midst of the valley. Oh, I pray that together we could face our fears, the fears of tomorrow, with full assurance of faith, singing with David, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Father in heaven, I can't do this. I have absolutely no power to do this. Your spirit alone must do this. So do what I cannot, and that's move in this room. Open blind eyes to see your precious promise in Psalm 23. May we in one accord sing with saints of old what we will sing forevermore. You are our shepherd. Not only shall we not want, we shall not fear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet.